This is Orson Welles on the Air, featuring the old-time radio performances of the legendary Orson Welles. fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man, with zither music by Anton Carras. In my youth, after a serious study of all the good causes that can lay just claim to a man's attention, I decided to work for the best cause of all, the cause of Harry Lyme. But though I subsequently spent my life performing pecuniary sleight-of-hand tricks, it cannot be said of me that I dealt in unattractive merchandise. Whenever I sold a gold brick, it was a highly polished article indeed. Perhaps you'd like to hear about one such commercial venture. Wells as Harry Lyme, the third man in today's story, Turnabout is Foul Play. It was in Bern, Switzerland, where a number of people in the international set had come for a half year's rest to make them fit for a half year of weekending. I was with these people, but not by any means of them, for I'm well known to be a man of sober and industrious habits who never stops working for a minute, especially in places where the wealthy have congregated with loosened purse strings. The man I was doing business with was Hans Kropt, a German industrialist. Herr Kropp didn't know that I was doing business with him. Herr Kropp never saw me, as a matter of fact. I used to sit on the veranda of the hotel, just at the point where it made a turn, and around the turn, Herr Kropp would sit talking to a, well, let's call him a partner of mine, Kurt Mannheim. I listened, and with interest always, for I am never bored by my work. Disappointed in you, Herr Mannheim. Oh, why should that be, Herr Kopp? You have told me that you know all the people who come here. Oh. You have told me that you would be able soon to find some solid commercial opportunity for a man of my genius. But the schemes you have come up with, pa. I have nearly been filling in the time until something really interesting comes along, Herr Kopp. It will never come along. But it has come along, Herr Kopp. It has? Today. What is it? It would take... Uh, a great deal of capital. I am Hans Kropp. There's no lack of capital. Very well. Bill Foster registered here today. So? Bill Foster is an English representative of the United Nations. So? He's in charge of United Nations plans for the industrialization of Western Europe. 
That is interesting. I thought it might be her corpse. If I could get to a man like that... If you could get to a man like that, if you could learn what plans the United Nations has, you could build a fortune greater than the one you had before the war, buying the right property, going into the right business in the right place... You do not have to teach me the alphabet of commerce. This uh, Forster, is he corruptible? He's already corrupt. Good. Can I trust him? If you pay. There will be no difficulty then. Except that he will not trust you. What do you mean? He is cautious. He deals with people he knows. Don't you know him? Not uh, that well. Then your information is absolutely useless. Not quite. I know someone who does know him. Who? Harry Lyme. And who is Harry Lyme? Surely you have seen him around this hotel. Uh, tall, distinguished. And Foster would do business with this Harry Lyme? Without hesitation, without question. And how can I be sure that Harry Lyme will not cheat me? You can be sure of that. What you cannot be sure of, Herr Kopp, is that he will help you at all. Why not? For the same reason that he will not cheat you. You have strange and disgusting acquaintances, Herr Mannheim. Harry Lyme is incorruptible. Incorruptible? <laughs> this incorruptible person is the only man in Bern who could act as a go-between with Foster? That is correct. Very well. We shall try to corrupt Harry Lyme. So... Herr Kropp was going to try to corrupt me. Being a highly moral man, I've always delighted in biting biters, sinning against sinners, and fleecing crooks. So I looked forward to meeting Herr Kropp with a pleasure I was wise enough to conceal when the next day I allowed Kurt and Herr Kropp to run into me in the lobby. Mr. Lyme, Mr. Lyme, how are you, Mr. Lyme? Herr Mannheim, isn't it? Uh, Yes, and I would like to present Herr Kropp. How do you do, Mr. Lyme? How do you do? Hans Kropp. You have heard of him, surely. Oh, yes, I've heard of you, Herr Kropp. I heard an account of your trial. <laughs> Sorry your friend had to die. My friend? Uh, yes, chap named uh, Adolf Hitler. Oh, you are too harsh, Mr. Lyme. I did only what any patriotic businessman under Hitler would have done. That's probably true. I many times noticed that patriotism blunts the sense of smell. Uh, uh, Mr. Lyme, uh, perhaps you and Herr Kropp could find some crown for oh, people please. like him. We try. Perhaps we can find something. But uh, do we have to try? Well, uh, I was just suggesting... You were just suggesting that since Herr Kropp and I are guests in the same hotel, we can at least be civil to each other, is that it? Oh, I'm sure that is what Herr Mannheim meant. Well, that's the way it'll be. We can be civil to each other, Herr Kropp. We can smile, we can bow, but at a distance, please, because my flesh is sensitive to knives in the hands of those who slap me on the back. Good day. Was sure that I was the incorruptible public official that my friend Kurt Mannheim had represented me to be. And if I continued to let him think so, it's only because, as a point of honor, I never tell the truth to liars. Later the same day, I listened once more from my station just at the turn of the veranda to a conversation between Kurt and Kropt. This man, Lyme, is going to be difficult. I told you how it would be. There is no other way to get that, Foster? No other way that I know of. What are Lime's weaknesses? He has none. Gambling? Huh? Lime. Does he drink? He holds it when he does. Does he like books or plays, uh, operas, symphonies? Does he have a secret vice? Is there anything at all in his background that Herr you can... Krop, let me assure you, I know the techniques of breaking down a man. I have investigated carefully. I have found nothing. You say he is a bachelor? Yes. Doesn't he get lonely? Who knows? Now, a woman oh, could possibly Difficult, be... difficult. Why is this? This man likes ultra-respectable women. Then an ultra-respectable woman could... An ultra-respectable woman who will do your bidding? Mm. 
It is difficult. I wonder... Yes? I wonder if Mr. Lyon would like my daughter. How could you use your own daughter on a job like this? Oh, I would not let her know what I was about. I could not let her know. You know why? Why? Because she is like this man Lyon. Exactly like him. She is stuffy. She is proper, respectable. She is moral. She preaches. Oh, she does sound like Lyme. Yes. And if Lyme likes, uh, I may be able to get around him. <laughs> it will be a good choke on my daughter, eh, Kurt? <laughs> she preaches at me all the time. Now she is going to help me. <laughs> Listening there on the veranda, I was appalled. I'd played my part all too well. Now I was to be wooed. Not in any of the ways I could have suggested myself to Haircroft. Not with money or entertainment. Or by having a lewd and lovely dancing girl smile seductively upon me. No, I was to be thrown into the company of an earnest, bookish, sniffing, do-gooder with glasses, most likely, and acne. A joyless drab who would in all probability avoid the use of the complexion aid she would so sorely need. And I would have to act up to this gargoyle. Well, business was business. Kurt informed me that I had two days reprieve for Frida, which was the preacher's name, would not arrive until Friday. I spent those two days in prayer, but by no means in fasting. And when Friday was all too soon upon us, I stationed myself in the lobby and waited to be accosted by Herr Cropt. Uh, Mr. Lyme! Oh, hello there, Cropt. Uh, when my friend Mannheim introduced us the other day, Mr. Lyme, you were good enough to say that you felt we should be civil. Yes, I did, at a distance. I understand. I am presuming on you now, Mr. Lyme, asking you to understand that I am not the bad fellow I am supposed to be. Asking you as the least to be pleasant to my daughter. She mm. has just come to stay here with me. I'd be very happy to be pleasant to your daughter. She is here. You would care to meet her? Certainly. Oh, Frida! Frida! Yes, Papa? Well, the girl who tripped toward us was not the girl I had been expecting. No glasses, no acne, no need of complexion aids. <laughs> she was young and lithe, with corn blonde hair and rather serious blue eyes set in a face all peaches and cream. I'm afraid I staggered my way through the introductions. Perhaps you two young people would like to go into the patio or, or go for a hike? Is that what you call it? Uh, uh, Papa, are you not presuming? Mr. Lyme may have other uses for his time. Oh, no, no, not at all. I <clears throat> I should be honored if you'd uh, come with me into the patio, Fräulein uh, Krupp. Fine, fine. I have some business to attend to. I, I will see you at dinner, Frida. I must apologize for Papa. Oh, why? He so obviously threw me at you. Oh, no, I, not at all. I, I don't know what to think. I'm very embarrassed. If you're a sample of his throwing arm, he should be with the New York Yankees, honey. You are very gallant. I'm very much smitten. I do not ordinarily approve of my father's friend. Well, fine, because I'm not a friend of his. The fact is, I don't approve of your father very much. I don't blame you. But uh, we shouldn't let such things make any difference to us, should we? Uh, the patio? By all means, Mr. Lyme. In a moment, Orson Welles returns as Harry Lyme, the third man.
And now, Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man, continues in today's story, Turnabout is Foul Play. Frida and I danced and skied and dined and walked together every day and every evening. My father beamed whenever I called it his sweet for Frida, made no attempt to approach me. He wanted to be quite certain that I was hooked before he started to reel me in, and as far as I was concerned, I didn't mind waiting for him to come to the point. Not when I was constantly in such lovely company. It was Frida herself who finally brought things to a head. One night when we were sitting over coffee after dinner in the corner of the hotel lobby. Harry? Yeah? We hadn't spoken much about my father. Mm, no, we hadn't. I know you disapprove of him. Oh, I'm sorry, but I do. It's all right. I do, too. And I think I can speak frankly to you. Well, I just hope you could, Frida. He's up to something. You mean the sort of thing he used to do before he went to prison? Yes, I'm sure of it. He's carrying 30,000 English pounds in a money belt. 30,000 yes. English pounds? I counted it when he was bathing yesterday. And, Harry, I wouldn't bother you with this, but I think it has something to do with you. With me? How could that be? You're an official of the American oh, government, no. aren't you? No, of course not. Yes, you are. I heard my father talking to that Kurt Mannheim about you. I know it's supposed to be a secret, and I wanted to warn you. My father knows you're with the American government. Well, <laughs> thank you, Frida. I, I don't know how he discovered my secret, he but... He discovers everything. He wants something from you. I feel so ashamed. I'm afraid he introduced us because he thought that you might... Well, but I... But you would like me. Well, if if that's so, darling, I must tell you he was right. Well, how are the young people, eh? Uh, hello, Herr Croft. You both look so serious. Papa, sit down a minute. Yeah? I've been telling Harry that you're up to something, well... Uh... Shall we say uh, unsavory, Herr Croft? The things one has to bear for one's moral and suspicious children, Mr. Lime. Oh. <laughs> Peter will not let me forget the mistakes I made when I was younger. What she says is quite untrue, of course. Is it? Then why are you carrying 30,000 pounds in your money belt? You have been searching my clothes, Sweden. I won't apologize. No, you will not apologize. You will only condemn. You haven't explained what you're doing with that much money. Well, uh, you know the international refugee group you are so interested in. Yes. The drive opens next week. I, I was going to try to bring joy to your heart by giving the money to them. I do not believe you. I have listened to enough, Frida. You may go to your room. No, no, that's the most ridiculous Never thing. Never mind, Harry. I'm a dutiful daughter. I will go, Papa. Goodbye. She is a dutiful daughter, Mr. Lime. In some ways. You brought her up in the old-fashioned way, I suppose? Exactly. And since I intend to marry her, I suppose I must let you know it before I let her know it. Seems silly, doesn't it? She would never marry without my saying that she could. Mm. I'm asking your permission, then. Mm -hmm. Mr. Lyme, do you know Bill Foster, a United Nations man staying here at the hotel? Yeah. I am anxious to meet him. Well, that ought to be quite easy. I am anxious also to be recommended Let's to be him. plain spoken, Herr Croft. I know that Bill Foster has in his possession the UN plans for the industrialization of Western Europe. You want to bribe him, isn't that it? Well, you have to put it that way, Mr. Lyman. I'm one of those efficient Americans you hear about, Herr Crops. I like to save time. Very well, I wish to bribe him. Now, uh, about my daughter, Frida. It is too bad that she would never marry unless her papa said she might. Uh, now you're bribing me. Well, not at all, Mr. Lyman. <laughs> of course, I would want her to marry some person who was friendly. Oh, okay, you don't have to spell it out, Herr Crops. 
Take your time, Mr. Lamb. I love your daughter very much. I want very much to marry her. So? Well, I'll get in touch with Bill Foster for you. Foster here. Bill, this is Harry Lyon. Everything's all set. Crops bitten? Hard. Got some impressive-looking plans made up? I've got them. Okay, I'll bring Cropped around this afternoon. So long. Bye. That was that. We were ready to take Cropped's 30,000 pounds, and if I had any regret at all, it was that I wouldn't see Frieda again. Then I've always found, in such cases, that there are other girls. Wherever you go, you find other girls. Take the place of the girls you don't dare to get in touch with again. The world is full of wonderful things, including the money that men like Cropped are willing to pay for few phony papers. So I brought Crop to Bill Foster's room that afternoon. It's a great pleasure, Mr. Foster. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. Then we can get right down to business. Harry tells me your air isn't philanthropic. <laughs> Harry wouldn't tell you anything if it weren't for a rag and a bone and a hank of air. He likes my daughter, Mr. Foster. Yes, he told me about that. Now, I understand you want access to the UN plans for the industrialization of Western Europe. A blunt man, I like that. I can let you have them for 48 hours. For a price. Yeah, Crop says money. Yeah, yeah. How much? Shall we say 10,000 pounds? You can make millions with these plans. 15,000. Yeah, Crop, you know how distasteful this is to me. I myself wouldn't touch a penny of your money. I have no respect for either one of you. But in the context of this crooked business, I find myself unhappily associated with you. And I cannot permit one of you to cheat the other. Oh, don't worry, Harry, old boy. I wouldn't take him up on an offer of 15,000. I'd want 20 at least. I will meet that price. 20,000 pounds. 30, 30,000. He said 20. Isn't that good enough? Oh, 20,000 is good enough, all right, but you're carrying 30,000. That's even better. If yeah. you're carrying that much, that's the amount I want. Disgusting. I hope you know, Mr. Lyme, you have just cost me 10,000 pounds. Well, why don't you look at it this way, Croft? You haven't so much lost 10,000 as you have gained a son. All right, all right. I shall want to take the plans and have my experts examine them before I pay any money at all. Is that so? I shall want the money before I let those plans out of my possession. Isn't Mr. Lyme's word good enough for you? Mr. Lyme is not guaranteed that you would return the plans to me if you got them without paying for them. Now, tell him, Mr. Lyme. Well, tell I, him, I, I can't tell him what I don't know, old man. You're, you're not particularly honest, Aircroft. You might take the plans. After all, you might copy them and return them to Foster, if you return them at all, without payment. Yes. It would be like you. Even be good business, I suppose. But I must have my experts examine them. I, I must know what I am buying. Crop's point of view is reasonable, too, Foster, you know. Well, I he won't get he... the plans till I get the money. Wait a minute. Uh, we both want this deal to go through. There must be a... Yes. We are both convinced of Mr. Lyme's honesty, are we not? I am. And I. Thank you, gentlemen. You give me the plans, and I give the money to Mr. Lyme to hold until my uh, men have examined uh, no, them. No, no, no. I was willing to bring you two together, but I don't want to have anything to do with the money. It seems like a reasonable proposition to me, Harry. The money is tainted. Nobody is asking you to keep the money. Well, I should hope not. Oh, we just want you should hold it. Well, I, I don't like oh, the idea that's at all. unreasonable, Harry. You're in it this far. Yes, I'm in it this far. Goodness knows. Here. Here is the money. Take it. It was a great pleasure to stand there looking unhappy and reluctant and to have that great pig of a cropped force the money on me. Well, I finally allowed his entreaties to prevail and stuffed the 30,000 pounds into my pockets. Foster then produced the completely spurious plans and blueprints and cropped up them and left. Now we had to act fast. Foster gathered up his luggage. He was all packed, of course. We went immediately to my room. 
Where my luggage awaited us, there's always the danger that Crop might see us in the lobby, so he took the time to arrange two envelopes, one with the money in it and one containing strips of newspapers. The envelopes looked alike, so if by chance we should find it necessary to return the money to Crop, we could switch the envelopes on him. Now we were ready to go. But at that moment, there was a knock at the door. What's that? I don't know. I'll do it, answer it. Harry! Oh, come in, Frida. Uh, this is Mr. Foster. How do you do? I was uh, just about to bring him to the station, Frida. Harry and Mr. Foster, here are the plans my father got from you. I don't get this. I heard my father talking to some of his men on the telephone, telling them to get right over and examine these plans. I knew he couldn't have come by them honestly, so I took them. Well, Uh, Foster, you'll be late for your train. You'd better go. I won't be able to help you now. Well... All right. Uh, here, uh, don't forget this bag. Oh, no, no, of course. You uh, uh, you, you know where I'm staying. Oh, yes, I know. Uh, all right. Uh, toodle-oop. And thanks for the plans, miss. We, we won't prosecute your father. Now, Harry, what about the money my father gave you to hold? Oh, uh... Oh. Well, you know about that, too? <clears throat> yes. Frida, I swear it was for love of you. I, I never wanted to get mixed up in this. It's I a... know all that. Papa chuckled over that with Kurt Mannheim. I heard him. I listen all the time. Now, what about the money? The money, yes, yes. Um, You know, I think we ought to teach your father a lesson and not return this money to him. I'm glad you feel that way, because that was my thought, too. Oh, it it was? Yes. We'll use that money as he pretended he was going to use it. We'll give it to the refugee group. Harry, don't you think that's a wonderful idea? Uh, oh, yes, it's... Perfectly wonderful. She was looking at me and she had her hand out and I knew I had to give her the money. But the preparations I'd made to fool her father would be equally useful with her, I was sure. I took out the envelope containing the money, I handed it to her, I had her count it and put it back in the envelope and seal it. Then I spoke casually about a picture on my wall when she looked toward it, I... Well, I did the old switcheroo with the envelopes. Both envelopes were now in my bureau, but the one with the money in it was under a magazine. I strolled casually into the bathroom, combed my hair, and when I came back, she picked up the envelope that was lying in plain sight, and we left for the offices of the refugee organization. This will teach Papa exactly the kind of lesson he needs. I was afraid that she would allow the officials of the refugee group to open the envelope in our presence, but she was just as willing as I was simply to leave it and go outside. So, everything was okay. And now to get rid of her. Are you going back to the hotel, Harry? Um, no, I'll I'll have to leave you. I'll see you tonight, Frida. All right. But, Harry, one moment. Kiss me. It's a pleasure. I kissed her. It was a pleasure. I was kissing her goodbye, so it was a lingering kiss. Then it seemed she wanted to borrow my pen and some paper. She wrote something. Here. Take this. Don't look at it unless you do not see me tonight. Do not ask me what I mean. If you do not see me tonight, read this. Otherwise... I took it. We parted. When I was able, I went back to the hotel, checked out and caught a night train. It wasn't until I was well on my way that I thought again of a note. I took it out and, rather expecting to be amused, started to read it. But as I read, I grew more and more horrified. In my mind's ear, I could hear her voice reciting every syllable of that note. Harry, darling, I love you. But I have been the daughter of a criminal. 
I cannot be the wife of another criminal. Yes, I know that you are that. I even knew that you switched envelopes on me. And when you went into the washroom, I switched them back. Don't feel too sad about losing the money. The refugees need it. Love. Frida. Harry Lyme will be back in just a moment. time ago, when I was a little boy, I got into a fight with another kid. He gave me a terrible beating. That was the worst moment in my life, but this was the second. However, one must be brave. One must take the bad with the good. <clears throat> Suppose it might have been worse. Suppose I was married to an honest girl like Frida. The very thought sends a shudder down my spine. Go on now. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, you can find more from the show you heard today and thousands of others at relicradio.com. And also donate through the site if you'd like to support Relic Radio. You can find more information about that by visiting donate.relicradio.com. Thanks for your support and for joining me today. Be back soon with more.